the bunny, the bunny. Ooh, I love the bunny. I don't love my mom or my dad, just the bunny. The bunny, the bunny. Ooh, I love the bunny. I gave everything that I had for the bunny. Who can tell me where that's from? Veggie Tales. Yes, it is uh, from a story about the book of Daniel. And um, that particular song is about idolatry. And I think it brilliantly captures what idolatry is about. An idol is what we love most. It's what we give our everything to. An idol is what is number one in our lives. It's what we worship apart from God. And this morning I want to share an unsettling idea with you. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. That's the title and central message of a book by a a biblical scholar who I love named G.K. Beale. And the book traces the theme of idolatry all throughout Scripture. And it collects all the main passages about Scripture, at least that he can come up with, puts them all together. And that is the summary. That is the conclusion of the book. Looking at all these passages on idolatry, the conclusion is we become what we worship. And I think a foundational passage for this idea is found in Psalm 115. Is it working? Yeah, great. Let's read this. Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. We become what we worship. And we see this in our lives as well, right? It's like we worship um, our culture and, and live for everything in our culture and we become a product of our culture. You worship your pleasures and you become as insatiable as your pleasures. Worship money and become as insecure as your finances. Worship relationships and become as unsatisfied as your relationships. Worship work and you become enmeshed in your work, not able to tell the difference between who you are and what you do. Your identity becomes your work. Worship food and become a foodling. Worship yourself and become self-centered. And depending on the sports team that you worship, you might end up a loser. We become what we worship. It reminds me of a a close friend of mine in seminary, and he was was sharing his testimony one time. And um, before coming to Jesus, he was way into the frat life. And um, I think he was president of his fraternity, and he was just living for that scene. And he said something that struck me. In his testimony, looking back, he said, I was chasing after empty things, and one day I woke up and I was empty. When we worship empty things, we become empty. You become what you worship. And that makes sense to me because what we set our hearts on, whatever's number one in our lives, that's our number one influence. That's the mold that we place ourselves in every day. 
But there's also a word of encouragement in this same idea. You see, Jesus came. The Son of God came to earth and and lived a perfect life because we could not live a perfect life. He lived it for us and then died in our place taking the punishment that we deserve. And then he rose again to open up heaven to us that by faith in him we have access to God and we can worship God. And so as we worship God, we become more like him. As we worship God, we become more godly, more Christ-like, more and more conformed to His image. And so, to put it very simply, worship the world and become increasingly worldly. Worship God and become increasingly godly. We become what we worship. And right now we're in this series on the spiritual disciplines. And that's what the spiritual disciplines are about, right? They're about becoming more and more godly. Growing in godliness, as Carlos said the first week. It's about transformation. And so in this conversation, we can't neglect to talk about the role of worship. And granted, I believe all the spiritual disciplines are different forms of worship. But today, I want to talk about a major pathway of worship in general. Today I want to talk about worship through song. Am I a little bit loud, by the way? Is that just me? Okay, thanks, thanks. I'm like feeling shouty this morning, okay? Okay, thank you. Just needed your affirmation. Um, We often hear language in the church today that makes worship and singing the same thing. It's like the idea is fused together, meshed together. For example, sometimes uh, we say, worship was good today. And what we really mean is, the music was good, the songs were good. Um, Oftentimes the music leader is called the worship leader. And so I think what has happened is that others of us have reacted against this idea, and with good intentions we rush to clarify that worship is not just Singing, worship is everything we do. Worship is our lifestyle, but in our zeal to communicate that worship is not, or that worship is not just singing, we often neglect to talk about the role of singing. And as a result, we often don't have a deep theology of singing. Sometimes it becomes just something we do on Sunday mornings. Maybe the lead-in to the sermon, or like this weird version of Christian karaoke. (laughs) By the way, that's not my joke. I heard it somewhere else. Anyway, music, music, singing is a major pathway of worship. This is all over Scripture. And so uh, this morning I'm going to be preaching on one verse. And because of that, Uh, We have a little more time, so I'm going to extend the introduction a little bit because I want us to see the importance that the Scripture places on the role of singing. And a lot of this, by the way, I learned from this article here. It's called, Why Do We Sing? by a worship leader uh, from the Sovereign Grace Movement. And uh, if this sermon, if God does not use this sermon to convince you about this, please just find me afterwards and you can have this article and I'm sure it will convince you. It's, It's gold. So anyway... Singing in scripture. Did you know that there are over 
500 passages on singing in Scripture. 500 times it mentions it in a positive light, not like a, a negative example. And so that means if starting today, you read one of those passages, a different one every day, every morning, you read a different passage about singing. By the time you were done, it would be January 2020. That's how long it would take you. Maybe we should do that. That's a lot. Um, let's try some audience participation. What is the longest book in the Bible? Psalms. Psalms. Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. <laughs> I'm sorry to put people on the spot. Uh, Isaiah is long. Um, Psalms is the longest book of the Bible. And um, essentially the Psalms is the song book of Scripture. That's the longest book in the Bible. Uh, I have more passages here that are significant. Uh, I was going to put them up there, but for the sake of time, Zephaniah 3.17 is a picture of God singing. In Matthew 26.30, Jesus is singing a hymn, the one that we follow. In Revelation chapter 5, heaven lifts up a song of praise to the Lamb who was slain and who is worthy. That's what's going on in heaven. Fifty times in Scripture, we are commanded to sing. Fifty times. Parents out there, if you told your kids to do something 50 times, do you think you would mean it? Is that something you were serious about? The interesting thing is that the command to sing is not just for those who can carry a tune or those who are gifted in, in singing or like kind of into that, but I'm not because I'm tough. Or, I'm not, because what will people think of me? No, the Bible doesn't say, sing if you're a singer. The Bible says, sing if you're a believer. And maybe you're here, and singing doesn't come easily to you, uh, or naturally, maybe. I'm trying not to look at anyone in particular. (laughs) Uh, Maybe uh, carrying a tune is not your forte. If you don't know it, just ask the person next to you. Let me encourage, if that's you, let me encourage you for a moment. You actually have a better chance of capturing what worship through song is really about in the first place. You see, people who are talented singers often face the danger of singing because they like the sound of their voice or because it might impress others. But you, you sing in spite of your voice and you know it won't impress others. And at the end of the day, worship through song is not about who notices, and it's not about how we sound, it's about Him. That's why we sing. So can I say something gently to those of you who like singing, and those of you who don't? Either way, it's not about you. Good singers, it's not about you. Other singers, it's not about you. It's about him. Um, I had this friend in college 
he was a, he was a bit younger than me, and um, he, didn't ha- he did not quite have an ear uh, for singing. And um, sometimes it was just really off. Like, I think, man, that's a harmony I have never even knew was possible. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he was my favorite person to stand next to during worship through song. Uh, he didn't distract me. Like, he encouraged me because he would just let loose. He did not care what people were thinking of him. He was just bringing it to the Lord with his heart. And, uh, like being so self-forgetful about it that it encouraged me to be self-forgetful in my worship through song and just to let loose in my worship through song. And I think that is more beautiful than singing a beautiful note. Okay, so let's wind this back. We have seen that worship is a must for our transformation. We become what we worship. Worship God and become more godly. Worship is a must for our transformation. And singing is a must for our worship. Therefore, singing is a must for our transformation. In other words, in our quest to become more like Christ... We can't dismiss the role of singing. So what does it look like? One of the best passages I know of in the New Testament that describes uh, the role of singing is found in what we read earlier today. It's Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. One verse. So uh, please find it if you can. Uh, You could turn there in your phone, device, Bible. And this verse shows us the who, what, and how of worship singing. The who, what, and how of worship singing. And as you get there, uh, um, I'll let you know the context. Paul has been talking about what it means to live as a Christian. What it means to walk as a Christian. To embrace that new identity that Jesus has given us. And what he just got done talking about is being filled with the Spirit which is a continual thing that happens in the lives of believers. not a one-time event, this continual thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what that means is the Holy Spirit has sway over our lives. He comes in to every room that makes us us. And then Paul describes what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And do you know the first thing he says? Verse 19, singing. Isn't that amazing? Like for Christians who want to be filled with the Spirit, singing is a part of the picture. Singing will be close by. That's how important it is. So let's, um, let's read it. Paul will give us the specifics. Paul, the author of Ephesians, will give us the specifics of worship singing. Ephesians 5.19 Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So the first question we ask is who? Who do we sing to? Or for English teachers in the room, to whom do we sing? Who is our audience? And the answer here might surprise you because it's twofold. It's both vertical and horizontal. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, addressing one another 
You see, one function of our singing, one function that we don't often talk about, is that our singing is an encouragement to one another. That's the collective dimension of the spiritual discipline. As Carlos said the first week, most spiritual disciplines are both personal and interpersonal. We, we practice them in private and in community, so our singing impacts one another spiritually. For example, imagine I might come in uh, one Sunday morning, and for whatever reason that day, maybe I'm just distracted. Or maybe there was a conflict on the way in. Or maybe I'm just feeling a bit icy. But then I come in and I hear the music and your voices surround me and I see you singing and I hear you singing and all of a sudden it helps me to get there with you. Can anyone relate to that? Martin Luther said this. Martin Luther was a reformer uh, way back in the day, influential guy. He said, at home in my house, there, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. When we sing truths about God, it not only falls on his ears, it also falls on the ears of those around us. We remind one another about who God is and what he has done. And we need that. And that is... One of the reasons why it's so important that we do uh, come here, why we do gather together. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to beat around the bush. Um, there's there's some of us that come like as often as a World Series title for the Cubs. Um, some of us really, <laughs> some of us have really struggled to come, and. Um, And listen, I just want to say to us, um, I just want to encourage us, we need one another. I don't, want, um, I, don't want, I don't want people to feel shame or anything like that. I just want to say, we need one another. Um, you encourage me in ways that I can't do alone. And I encourage you in ways that you can't do alone. And And I can't 100% explain it, but it happens in a way that can't be replicated in isolation. And that includes our singing. You help me engage. I help you engage. You remind me about God. I remind you about God. Uh, We need one another. It's, It's a community event. That's part of what singing is. And let me, by the way, I just want to... Say this something about this sermon. I'm gonna like poke at you a little bit in this sermon, so just be forewarned. Um, I don't know what it is, it's just the way this passage applies to our situation. I'm gonna poke at you. Um, so this is a community event, and because it's a community event, we can encourage one another and help one another engage, but the opposite is also true because it's a community event, we can also distract one another. And um, I think this is an incredibly friendly church. That is the first thing I noticed when I walked in years ago as a visitor. Uh, this is a very friendly church. And I think it's good that we greet one another when we come in. And um, 
That's just part of being friendly. And that's also an acknowledgement that I'm not like in my worship bubble all by myself and you can't touch me. This is a community event. But at the same time, when it carries on beyond that into casual conversation, then we can really distract one another. And that's another thing I noticed when I came here years ago. Uh, the casual conversation that does happen when we sing. And it, it, it can be a distraction. Sometimes we're talking about the fact like, oh, my garage sprung this leak last night as the music is going on. And so I just want to say, worship through song is, is not the time and place to talk about that kind of thing. You can talk about that kind of thing when you have a piece of bread and butter in your hand uh, uh, during the summer outside uh, or down here any other time. Um, it is so important that we are singing together and we can help one another engage by being engaged ourselves. So I just want you to be mindful of that. And I'm going to keep poking at you a little bit. Um, if this is so important, if worship singing is a part of our transformation and we help one another, then we should think through what time we arrive on Sunday mornings. I'm going to poke at you. <laughs> um, our services start with singing. Um, but if we don't come on time, we miss that. We miss that opportunity for our spiritual transformation. And we miss that opportunity to encourage one another and help one another engage. There are some times when I look, uh, the first song begins, and I look around, and there's like 12 people here, including the band. And, um, <laughs> and then like, okay, I'll close my eyes uh, during the first few songs, and then I'll open them at the, like, maybe the end of the second song, and I look around, and it's like a miracle has happened. The whole room is full. <laughs> it's amazing. But then we've missed out on those songs. We've missed out on that opportunity. So listen, I am a late person. Um, if I didn't work here on Sunday mornings, I would probably struggle to be here on time. And so I say this to us. I think we can do better at getting here on time. Because I think it's important. Okay. I'm going to poke at you some more a little bit later, but let's, uh, let's get back into this. Why do, okay, who do we sing to? There is a horizontal component, and there's also a vertical component. That's the more obvious part. Later on in verse 19, if you're still open there, it says, Ephesians 5, 19, singing and making melody to the Lord. God is the primary and ultimate audience of our worship songs. At the end of the day, we sing to him. And since God is the primary audience, and since he is always present to us, even when we're alone, worship singing is also a private spiritual discipline. It doesn't just take place on Sunday mornings when we're all gathered together. In fact, it shouldn't just take place on Sunday mornings. A Donald Whitney, who literally wrote the book on spiritual disciplines, says this, How can we worship God publicly once each week when we do not care to worship Him privately throughout the week? And I know he's talking about worship in general, but I think it also applies to worship through song. See, worship singing is a must for our spiritual transformation at a community level, but it's also a must for our transformation at a personal level. And i got to tell you, I, I needed uh, this, I needed to hear this, in my life right now, um, 
I was planning on preaching on something different today. I had already researched it. I had started to research, and then last week God just kind of changed the direction of this sermon. Not last week, but like just at the end of the week before. So, um, just changed the direction. And I needed to hear this. Um, you see, worship music has kind of slipped out of my personal spiritual rhythms a bit. Yes, I, I listen to worship music in the background, but I'm just listening to it. It's just background noise. I haven't been engaging in it as my heart's expression to God. I'm not saying we need to sing solos in our basement, right? But to find ways to engage in the songs and bring them through our hearts to the ultimate audience, to God. And I needed that because it is such a vital part of our spiritual growth. I needed to be reminded of that. Is anyone else with me? Worship music is so vital for each and every one of us, even if you do not like music in general, even if you're one of those people who turn on the car and the AM radio comes on and it's like, right, you know who you are. Even if you don't like music, it's, it is so crucial to our personal spiritual walk with the Lord. I'm convinced of it. We need it in our lives. So who do we sing to? To one another and ultimately to God in community and in private. So that's the who. Now we turn to the what. Who what? What do we sing? Leave you in suspense. What do we sing? In the middle of verse 19, it says, Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What does that mean? How is a song, psalm different from a hymn, which is different from a spiritual song? And what the answer is that we really don't know. Like, scholars who know this stuff don't know 100%. I mean, There's some scholarly guesses, like maybe some of them are more structured and some of them are more spontaneous. Some of them are more rooted in the Old Testament. Some are more rooted in the New. Some are more uh, Hebrew-speaking oriented. Some are more Greek-speaking oriented. But whatever, whatever it means, the point is clear. These three terms, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, represent a diverse array of worship songs. Right? It's not about one type. Like, we're the psalm-singing church. It seems like Paul, the author of Ephesians, intentionally lists a diverse sampling of ways we can sing to God. It runs the gamut. And so one implication here is that our personal preferences are laid aside. The people in that church who preferred psalms would also be singing spiritual songs. And the people who preferred spiritual songs would also be singing hymns. It's not that we can't have favorites, but that our favorites aren't everything. Sometimes we come away from a worship service and we're tempted to think, yeah, it wasn't as good today because I'm, I'm, I'm really not into those songs. How many times have you maybe thought or heard something like that? When we see, what we see with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is that it's not about our personal preference. What about the person next to us? And even more, even more than that, 
we need to pause and reflect on the word spiritual. Um, in the original language of, of this verse, the adjective spiritual most likely applies to all three terms. So spiritual psalms, spiritual hymns, and spiritual songs. And spiritual means from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit's number one job? To exalt Jesus. To exalt God. So that means whatever the form of song, whatever the type of song, if it's spiritual, in other words, if it exalts Jesus, then who am I to be like, I'm not really into that. Right? Wait. You're not into exalting Jesus? See, maybe we need to remind ourselves, I don't sing because I love this song. I sing because I love my Savior. I was uh, listening to Francis Chan recently, and he said something that struck me. Sometimes we hear language like, I, I didn't really get anything out of that worship service. Since when is it about us? It's about him. We come to serve him. And the paradox is, as we come to serve him, we ourselves often receive. But that's not the first reason why we come. It's about him. It's not about our preferences. What do we sing? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, anything. Anything that exalts God. Our personal preferences are laid aside. So, so far we've seen the who and the what. And so finally now we turn to the how. How do we sing? The the end of verse 19 says this. Sorry, I went down the wrong tube. With your heart. The end of verse 19 says, With your heart. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What does that mean? Scholars repeatedly emphasize that in biblical times, the heart is not just about feelings. It's about all of who we are. See, when we say heart, we only mean feelings. But when they said heart, they meant all of who we are. And that certainly includes emotions, but it's even more encompassing than that. In fact, one commentator translates this, singing and making melody to the Lord with your whole being. So what does it mean to sing to God like that? With your whole being, I'd like to focus on three aspects. Number one, three aspects of worshiping God with our whole being. Number one, it includes our minds. When we sing to the Lord with our whole being, it means our minds are engaged. We resist mindlessly reciting the words as they appear on the screen. And I know we'll get distracted. And, and, and instead of beating ourselves up about it, which just distracts us more, uh, we just ask God to bring us back. And try to think through what we are singing. To let the significance um, sink inside of us. My prayer is that the words would not just pass through our lips, but pass through our minds as well. That is part of singing to God with our whole being, our minds. We, We love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, but some of us are most comfortable with worship singing that happens from here on up. From here on up. And that is an important part of worshiping God with our whole being. But worshiping God with our whole being also includes other aspects. 
So number two, it includes our emotions. Some of us have believed that worship should not be emotional. And maybe part of the reason is because the mind and the emotions have been pit against each other. Like it's either one or the other. So if emotions are in the picture, then the mind can't be. And therefore, emotional worship is shallow and potentially dangerous. We might not say that, but sometimes that's our underlying suspicion. For some of us, emotions are offline because we believe they can't be trusted. And while we shouldn't make our decisions solely based on our emotions, I believe they are a gift from God. Our feelings, our emotions are a God-given part of our being, part of our relationship with him, and therefore an important part of our worship. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was a preacher um, that God used during the first revival of our nation, the Great Awakening back in the 1700s. And some people during that time, even religious leaders, criticized the Great Awakening for being overly emotional. And um, look at how he responded. Listen to how he responded as it relates to singing. He did not back down on the role of emotions. And remember, this is like an 18th century like scholar, okay? So this is what he says. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be given entirely to excite and express religious affections. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse and with music except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. Bob Coughlin, who wrote this article, the worship leader, says this singing allows us to combine intellect with emotion, objective truth with our response to it. In other words, singing exists to help us express emotion. That's the whole point. It is never to be done half-heartedly. What's the purpose of singing any song, much less a worship song, in monotone? If I wanted to express my love to Lisa, would I say, Lisa, I love... Is that a text message? Okay. Smiley face. I love you. No. And yet sometimes that's how we sing to God. Sometimes maybe we see others express emotion in worship. And part of us is honestly like, whoa, this is getting too emotional. But imagine you're at a Cubs game. I don't know why I'm bringing up the Cubs a lot. Imagine you're at a Cubs game. I know that's like divisive. I'm sorry. And, um, and someone hits a walk-off grand slam, which is not hard to imagine because it happens. And the whole place is cheering and roaring and going nuts. Would you look at the people around you and be like, whoa, this is getting too emotional. Just sit quietly and think through the value of that particular accomplishment. No. When the woman came up to Jesus and wept and kissed his feet and dried them with her hair, 
Did he say, whoa, this is getting too emotional? Listen, I know we can go overboard with emotions. We certainly don't want to be all passion and no thought, but we also don't want to be all thought and no passion. So what it comes down to is responding to God with all of who we are. And that includes our minds, and equally important, it includes our emotions. And finally, it includes our bodies. Um, I'm going to keep poking at us, okay? Sometimes we limit our relationship with God to our interior world. But that's actually more from ancient Greek philosophy, Gnosticism, than it is from Scripture. The Bible shows us that we are embodied people, embodied on purpose, not just floating entities. Even in heaven, we will have bodies, and so it's part of who we are and part of our worship. And that's what we see in Scripture. Oscar, I think I've got a few verses here if you can find them. As people worship God, often through song, they're, they're called upon for their bodies to be a part of it. Check it out. These are all from the Psalms, from the, from the songbook of Scripture, okay? Uh, Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Let's do the next. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. And that seems to be a posture for prayer, but, 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 but singing is a form of praying to God. Okay. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The next one. Oh, can we go back one? Again, the suspense. I'll read it. I'll read it. Our laptop is, has a cold or something. Um, you got it? Yeah. All right. Psalm 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. And I'll let you in on on something sweet to me. Um, Some of my most sacred times with God have been when he's called me to just, led me to just get on my face before him. Because that's what I see in scripture. Oftentimes in scripture when people are in the presence of God, they fall on their faces and And I share that with you because being on my face reminds me, my posture helps me to remember that we are in his presence. We're not just making this up. Like we are actually in his presence. My posture helps me to grasp that. We have clapping Shouting, lifting, bowing, kneeling, dancing, all of these things. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I think of the Old Testament saints, I think of people who are like stoic and and serious. But if this is how they rolled, then they would put our worship services to shame, right? This is amazing how involved they were with their bodies if this is how they rolled. So right now, some of you might be getting nervous. But all I'm saying is to give God a full response, and our bodies are part of that. Some of you are the most expressive people I know. Like, like you know who you are, and when you're talking about something you're excited about, like other people have to wear football gear because of the high prob- probability of getting like whapped in the face or something. 
But then when we come to worship singing, something happens and we're like this. Or, or we look like we're standing in line at Costco. That's the posture we take in worship singing. Uh, I think some of us have distanced ourselves from expressive worship because we don't want to be associated with a particular brand of Christians. La gente, hallelujah. ¿Verdad? The hallelujah people. I don't want to look like those people. You guys, let me call a spade a spade. That is pride. I don't want to do something for God because I don't want to look like a certain brand of people. I'm not one of them. That is pride. Imagine standing before God one day and he says graciously, Why didn't you give me your all in singing my praises? Why did you hold back? And you say, well, I didn't want to look like one of those people. And God says, oh yeah, good point. No. We've caricatured a people and tried to make ourselves different. Well, we're not that. Listen, I'm not asking you to be Pentecostal or whatever label you want to throw around. I'm asking you to be biblical. More and more biblical. Isn't that my job as a preacher? That our lives more and more conform to what is laid out in this book. And I just got to say, if a good father tells us to do it, then it must be for our good. I'm not saying be expressive in worship for the sake of being expressive, but I want us to be free to worship God with our whole being, with our minds, emotions, and bodies engaged. So if you're a believer this morning, let me encourage you, sing your heart out. Sing with all of who you are. That is what Scripture, what God envisions as we bring to Him praises through song. So who do we sing to? Surprisingly, to one another. And ultimately, to God. It's community and it's private. What do we sing? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Not always our personal favorites, but anything that exalts God. And how do we sing with our heart, with our whole being? So as a conclusion, I'll, uh, I'll call the band to come forward. I did not have to think long and hard about the application uh, for this sermon. I just want to leave you with something simple and direct. Let's seek to encourage one another as we sing to God. You point me to him and I point you to him. We need each other. Let's lay aside our preferences. It's not about us, it's about him. Let's seek to build this into our personal spiritual rhythms. How can engaging in music be a part of your personal spiritual life? Where can you make space for it this week to engage in the music and bring your song before the Lord, even if you're not singing a personal solo in your basement, but just letting your heart express its praises to God through songs. We need this. It's vital to our spiritual growth. And let's seek to be more free as we sing. Let's seek to be more fully engaged. Mind, emotions, and bodies. Sing your heart out. Good news. Sing your heart out. Worship God and we will become more like Him. And in our worship, we can't dismiss the role of singing. Let's pray.
Father, we come before you and we just want to first acknowledge that you are worthy of our praises. I can hardly believe all that you've done for us. But I believe it because you are so gracious, so compassionate, so good, so just, so perfect, so holy. Thank you that you sent your son, that you paid the highest price, that he died in our place. He took the punishment I deserve, that we might be fully forgiven by faith in him, fully cleansed, not the faintest speck of sin left on us before you, so that we can be in your presence now. We can boldly become, we can boldly come before your throne of grace. Thank you for all that you have done for us. And so, God, I just pray that you would um, help us keep growing in this act of worship called singing to you. Help us to make space for it. Um, help us to encourage one another. Um, Help us to grow in it, God. We need you for that. And just, God, I just pray that you would lead, ultimately lead us deeper. That we would commune with you at a deeper level. And that we would be more and more transformed because of your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.